1966, God made the cover of Time magazine, sort of. It was a a dramatic um, black cover with red letters, and the red letters um, asked, is God dead? It was a kind of one dimension, became a one dimensional icon for Christianity or monotheism in this in the world in which we're still living, a sign of, of religion's um, not so good place with the culture around it and within it. In that same year, there was an Episcopal priest in New York City named John McCory. McCory was an intellectual, he was an existentialist, he had translated Heidegger, all of which means he drank from a very deep well. In, his, in that year, he published a book that was almost a kind of response to the Time magazine cover. It was his systematic theology. It lasted about 600 pages. I can tell you in about a minute what he concluded. You can thank me later. <laughs> and basically what Macquarie worked out is, is, is God is not another being like us, just sort of a bigger version. God's not just some object, just a bigger than, say, like a mountain or something, so that God either exists or doesn't exist in a simple way. Macquarie worked out over those 600 pages that, that God is, is being itself, that all existence owes its reality and its being to God who is being, so that if being didn't exist, we wouldn't. There's a huge loss if God is not real, and it's the loss of of, of all existence. God is the source of being, the source of of truth, therefore of honesty, the source of beauty, the source of goodness, therefore of morality. All of that is undergirded by this, this being that is unfathomably large, mysterious, and and everywhere. Jesus' parable today concerns two very different ways of praying, two very different kinds of people. But implicitly, it it really concerns two very different ideas or images for what God is actually like. Is God just a bigger version of ourselves? Does God just simply affirm who we are, how we vote, what we think, our opinions about the world? Or is God this incredible mystery being itself that's the source of, of, of everything that is good and beautiful and true? And how does that image of God change how we pray? The Pharisee comes from a, a larger group of Pharisees. Um, in the Gospels, the Pharisees and Jesus do not get along well although underneath the surface they're somewhat similar, at least in this regard. They're they're both interpreters of the law, how to apply it to daily life, what it means. So Jesus and the Pharisees are often um, arguing, using the same means of argument, but reaching very different conclusions. Here, this Pharisee is someone who's gone into the temple to pray, and the first words out of his mouth are, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, whatever. God, for this Pharisee, is just simply a bigger version of him. Agreeing with what he agrees with. Affirming 
how he divides up the world. I don't know what's more terrifying. Someone who believes that God agrees with everything he thinks or a God who agrees with everything this Pharisee thinks. He, on the outside, is in the temple, upholds the law, tithes, etc., prays, but on the inside just divides up the world according to his, his, his beliefs and, and feelings and such. And so, because on the outside he does one thing, on the inside is actually cruel, he is a, a representation of hypocrisy. It's impossible for a Pharisee or any of us who pray that way to do something we're going to have to do in just a few moments in the confession of sin. Katie, as the priest, will say, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. There'll be a pause. Some of us will kneel. Some of us will stand. In that moment, we're invited to confess our sins. It's a moment that sometimes entertains me a little bit, although it probably shouldn't. Because in that moment, you can't think about anybody else. No one else's sins or mistakes should enter into your mind. That's a total distraction. It's a moment in which you're invited to say, with incredible courage and self-awareness, this one's on me. What's done or left undone, that one's on me. And I need some grace and forgiveness and help. And that, of course, is how the tax collector prays in this story. The tax collector enters the temple, won't even look up, and just begs God for mercy upon me. And presumably what he prays for himself, he prays for any and everybody. Therefore, he is a representation of humility, authentic prayer that grounds us and brings us to our knees, so to speak. In the end, I find it most interesting to think about these two people actually being one person. Anytime we we pray, there's a spectrum where our prayers can land depending on how, what's within us and how we're viewing God. And that spectrum, of course, is the spectrum from hypocrisy to humility. But the danger is always there for religious folk who come to cathedrals like this. We come to this cathedral in order to learn how to pray. And more than that, we come here Sunday by Sunday, burial by burial, weekdays, in order to figure out who God is, which is not a quick process. It takes a long time to figure out who God is ultimately. And we come here, therefore, to remember that God is being itself unfathomably big, the source of all truth, beauty, and goodness. And in Jesus Christ, being itself is personal, intimate, and loving. So, pray here, pray everywhere. Pray for yourself, pray for everybody.